Randolph, thanks for getting on. And just for everyone watching right now, I think it's what, December the 19th, 2022. So it's an interesting time that's going on right now, but time. nobody knows Randolph better than Randolph, who's also <laughs> my partner for anyone watching. Um, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, well, thank you, Dom. Um, you know, this is, <clears throat> all of this is, is new to me, you know, um, social media, any, any sort of interviews, this type of things. I've done a lot of magazine stuff that uh, has been interesting, but uh, social media no longer is an accoutrement to your listing or selling business. It is now a necessity. And as an agent, as a business owner, I think it's very important to change with the times. And that's one reason why I'm doing more of this. I'm I'm usually better on rooftops and with clients and uh, expanding my sphere, taking care of my sphere. Um, anyway, I'm I, I'm a real estate agent. I, I uh, and I take it pretty seriously. I represent buyers. I represent sellers. I do uh, mainly resale. Um, average price point is about a million dollars. I think it's about a, it's, up a, little it's bit. a million ten thousand dollars. And then um, the uh, I, I do some commercial stuff. If it's big leasing, I actually will uh, send that out. I've, I've got a partner that I work with on that. One of my largest commissions ever came from a commercial lease that came from a residential client who had never done business with me yet, but I had been keeping in touch with her and she, I actually leased her her first office. And I think the commission was 800 bucks. And then I referred her next one out because she contacted me. She leased, she had one of the largest leases in Washington, D.C. And my referral on that commission was $107,000. Amazing. So that, that's a little one. Um, DMV, that's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Um, we have uh, price points around here. The average price point in all for a single family home is 600000 uh, in D.C., it's much higher than that. Uh, certain parts of Virginia, it's much higher than that. Um, condos, you have lower pricing, some higher pricing. Um, what else? Uh, I've been doing this for seven years, and it's been really rewarding. I thought I was going to be in real estate for maybe a year or two. It was a transition career. And then the more I learned about it, the more interested I got into it, and I just kept growing the business. Um Dominic knows I tend to ramble, but Dominic, what, what am I missing here? I think that's pretty good. I think the one piece that you're missing is within that time frame, you pretty rapidly became the top 100 agent in the DMV. So, uh, go ahead. Okay, it took me. Um, it took me about three. It was your three or four. I have to check to become top 100, um, top 100 based on volume. And then the, there are awards that are uh, voted awards. I'm uh, Washingtonian's uh, top agent. Um, there are other publications, but the Washingtonian is a big one around here. Um, and I've averaged over the last three years, about 26 and a half, 27 million a year. Yeah. And once you get above 25 or so as a single agent, you, you, you're pretty much going to be in the top 100. Yeah. Um, so I, think, I think that's a lot of people, a lot of agents want to get to that. They strive for that. Other people that are watching might be beyond that, you know, and crushing it, which is great. What I want to do quickly is go back to the beginning and speak about how the steps were to get to this point. So let's talk, let's talk about like your first ever dealing real estate. But before, okay. that, before that, let me preface that. Why did you get into real estate in the first place? Because I know you, you had a different career before real estate. And a lot sure, of people did. I'm going to do two first ones because I just remembered my either first or second deal was an interesting story. Uh, well, both of them are interesting stories. The, um, the reason I got into real estate, um, I... Uh, Right out of college, I studied political economy and uh, global organized crime. And then I went into... Um, you go into the FBI. 
Well, no, I, I actually went into, I worked for an investment bank. I didn't do investment banking. I did more customer service and sales. And during that time, I discovered that I wanted to pursue my dream and I pursued my dream of being an actor and a writer. Because when I saw Star Wars years ago, I thought I wanted to be Han Solo. I wanted a fast spaceship. I wanted a big hairy friend and I wanted to marry a princess. Um, I have a little hairy friend now, his name's King, he's a dog. I have not married a princess yet, but I've got a nine month old who's amazing. I guess she's my princess. And um, what else? I don't have a spaceship yet, but I have a very nice car, which I love. Um, And, um, but to get back to, so I fell into real estate. I I was an actor. I was doing, doing pretty well in television and film and shows like Justified, Criminal Minds, CSI, um, a few more. It's, it's, it's on my IMDb. Um, I have fact checked this. I I have looked up items on IMDb. Uh, It's there. And then, and then I did, um, I, but the reason I got into real estate in about, I think it was 2012 or 2013, I was walking across the street. I got hit by a car. Um, I got backed into by a Cadillac, um, hit me in the back. And then my head went through the rear window. I had a tramp stamp. I, Dom, I should get you this picture, a tramp stamp of a Cadillac emblem right here in my back. And it took me, I was so lucky I didn't die. I, I definitely, my body was shutting down when the EMTs came and they sort of got me back, cut off all my clothes, got the defibrillators out. Um, but so, but the, 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 the biggest problem for me was PTSD and I had a massive concussion. Concussion. It took me a long time to recover, about a year. Um, at the end of that year, Uh, My mother, who was in Washington, D.C., I was in L.A., my mother had a fall at her house, and it's a a larger house, and I said I'd come back to help her out for a month. Uh, She cracked her spine and and broke some ribs, and it became obvious to me that she needed to downsize, and I wasn't an agent, so she's also very stubborn, so I recruited my neighbor, who was an agent, to... um, to start showing me houses. And at the time there were affordable houses in Washington, DC. And, you know, some people might call them bad neighborhoods and Tom was showing me houses in all these neighborhoods. And and mom was like, why do you have Tom showing you houses in all these bad neighborhoods? And I said, well, mom, it's all I can afford. And that's, by the way, that's how you build wealth in real estate. Buy what you afford first. Uh, Don't any, anyway, we'll, we'll get on that later. So then my mother goes, well, I wonder what I could afford. And I said, huh, funny you should ask. So I basically shadowed this other agent and we found her a nice flat. He sold her house. And at one of the closings, she yelled at me and said, Randolph, why didn't you get your real estate license so I didn't have to pay all these commissions? And that was sort of the seed. And then I I got my, uh, I I took my exams. I took the classes and, I didn't know what I was going to do next. My heart really wasn't in the acting anymore, and you really need to be in it. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure the real estate exam got you really ready to go. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought it was going to be, you know, a bridge career to whatever I found out what was next. And the combination of uh, helping my mother, um, and then taking the exam, and then networking with peers. Uh, gave me a finer appreciation for what good real estate agents do because I never had a high opinion before then of real estate agents. Um, We can talk about that later as well. Uh, So my first listing was a friend of mine who wanted to sell his place really quickly. It was a condo in DC, beautiful condo on a canal, two bedroom, I think it was 1600 square feet. So this was this was your first ever real estate deal. first ever deal. Um, and he knew I had become an agent and he called me and he said, Randolph, I need you to sell my place. I need to get done quickly. I'll take 600 for it. That's what I paid for it. And I said, whoa, slow your roll there. For some reason, he wanted to sell it quickly. And uh, I said, I could probably get you a lot more than that. And he's like, no, I want to sell. I was like, OK, you sure you don't want 60, 70, maybe 80,000 more? He's like, 
well, how fast can you do it? And I said, well, let me just, let me do some research and I'll get back to you. So the first thing I did, and mind you, this building was difficult to sell in because it had high fees. Very nice building, but high fees. Yeah. And when people are buying condos, they don't necessarily want to be paying high fees. So the first thing I did is I contacted the property manager and he gave me all the names um, of the current owners of the building. And I contacted all of them and I found um, a buyer who wanted to upgrade from a one bedroom to a two bedroom. And he was willing to pay 680,000. He already knew the building. He was fine with the fees. He wanted to be there. Um, and, and mind you, you don't necessarily always want to do it this way. Let me, um, let me jump in for one second. I know where you're going with this, but for agents out there, if you know what wholesaling is, essentially what you could have potentially done, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but if you were to wholesale it, knowing that he wanted 600,000 and you have a buyer at 680, there was a potential $80,000 wholesale spread there. But it's true, but, right. but um, first of all, when you're doing, if you're doing business with friends, you want it to all be paper. You want your listing agreement, right. you want every, all the agreements together. Um, there's nothing, well, there's, people have businesses, they can do what they want. Um, I could have done that. Um, in fact, I did do that on one property a couple years later, but I didn't know anybody involved with the transaction. Um, it just happened to be a, a business proposition that looked really good. And I bought a place for 420 and I sold it for 675 and a lot of it was luck. Um, but I did actually buy it. I didn't get it under contract. It was and then, you know, um, <clears throat> so I'm getting off track. So he bought the property. My client was over the moon. Um, and the buyer was over the moon and I will, we only did one side of the commission. So, um, because it just worked out that way in terms of the negotiation. So for this one, and I never discount, I rarely discount, I will discount sometimes, um, in special situations, but I took one side of the deal, but I did both sides of the deal and everybody was happy. And, um, that same client, three weeks ago, bought a house with me for $3.35 million. And this will go back to, you have to keep in touch with your clients, your friends, your sphere. Um, but let me tell this, Dom, you haven't heard this story. So my first, was it my, this might've been my first. Before I, my first buying client was the sister of a woman I met on Tinder on New Year's that same year. And the dating thing didn't work out, but she introduced me to her sister who was in DC. Okay. And she bought an apartment with me for $475,000. So your advice is get on Tinder and start typing. <laughs> <laughs> We might have to edit that out. We might have to cut that out. Well, I mean, Tinder probably dates. I don't, do people use Tinder anymore? Um, so um, those are my first two deals. And I was still trying to figure out, oh, one interesting thing about that first listing is my broker called me up and he was like, Randolph, why don't you milk this listing? And I said, what do you mean? Because I didn't really understand what the business was. Um a dirty little secret about our industry is a lot of agents when they, they need to be servicing the property, they need to be protecting you. But a, a lot of what happens when an agent lists a property is they're looking for their next listing or their next buyer. It's called lead generation. There's nothing wrong with it, but um, in my opinion, too many agents focus on, the next deal instead of the deal they're actually working on. It's so the key to everything that I will, uh, the keys of the kingdom are really um, obvious and simple, but you have to do the work and you have to service the client that you're with really well. 
um, because that will get you referrals. It will get you reputation. It will, it will pay its dividends. Um, and um, I need to fact check these numbers, but I went from over a hundred K in GCI. Uh, my first year, second year was 160 ish. Third year was 180. And mind you, I've been doing this in, in the second and third year. I actually started working a lot harder in the third year. Is it my fourth year, third or fourth year? I did over $534,000 in GCI. Um, my 1099 said $534,000. When I received that, I had been working so hard that I didn't even know how much money I was making that year. And, you know, I almost cried and passed out at the same time. I was just so uh, overwhelmed with, I never thought I'd ever see a check that big or a 1099 that big. Um, but, um, I guess I'm getting off track here. What, what am I missing now? Um, the servicing your client, staying in touch with people. Um, I do very good business now, but I bet you I could be doing 25 to 50%, possibly a hundred percent more business. If I actually took my own advice and stayed in touch with clients, marketed more, did market for referrals and um, and new clients instead of working hard on the particular client at the time. Um, so, yeah, so I think what my, saying, my business could be a lot better. I think what you were saying, just to circle back around, is you had this one deal that was the building and you went out your way to service the client who was also your friend. It was either your first or your second deal, whatever it was. Right. You were willing to just to do one side, even though you found the buyer. Yes. So you got creative, you contacted the property manager because you knew it was a difficult building to sell into because right. HOA fees, condo or co-op fees, whatever it is, yeah. high. And I don't know if there was a board approval as well. There might have been board approval there. So co-ops do board approval in New York, so I'm not sure. if This was a condo. You, you, just, you just need to have good credit pretty yeah. much. Uh, so the most qualified buyer right there or is probably someone that's already in the building that wants to buy it, right? So... I think the, the the link was because you went out your way and you found the buyer, you got the deal done and you were super creative doing it, servicing your client. Your broker was like, why didn't you go ahead and put it on the MLS anyway? Right. So people, other people in the building can see that you've sold, you're the guy that sells property for, I think you got a little bit above market for it, around 680. I think it was at or close. either the same or higher on on market, you know, yeah. it is important to expose a property to the market to get the price. But for, for these two clients, they just had a meeting of the minds. Um, but what the broker was saying is you need to milk your listing to get more clients. Yeah. And that's true to a certain degree, but I don't think you should be milking your listing first to get more clients. I think you should be focusing on the listing um, or your buyer, one or the other. Right. And I think another thing is you only took one side, but because you're new and fresh into real estate and it's a nice list. And I mean, what, $680,000 on your record, you know, second or first deal. It's a nice one. How important is it to start transacting and getting deals done and servicing your client, focusing on that versus focusing on your commission and having commission breath, essentially. Never, you should never focus on your commission. The, yeah. the, it is how we get paid, but that I, I, I don't think it, it makes sense to, to ever focus on your commission unless somebody's trying to not pay you at all. Yeah. Um, you need to have written agreements with your clients um, before you do business uh, in, in order to you know keep everything. And you're required to do that by your particular board. Um, you do have discount agents now, discount companies. Some are good, some aren't. Um, so it, it, it probably depends on your jurisdiction as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't suggest um, doing that. So it's, what's next? So that was, we were just talking about discounting and getting trade deals transacted and not worrying about your commission. I think your commission is a byproduct of yeah. servicing the client getting it done. Whereas 
early on, if you're willing to take a code, I'll bring in a co-listing agent who's, you know, been there, done that, that's actually going to get the deal done. And you, you split that commission. I think anything you can do to progress your knowledge and get better at what you're doing and your craft, your return on yourself is going to be a lot higher than one deal. Well, absolutely. I mean, you have, the, the way I describe my business people, I mean, I've had some massive commissions um, and, you know, you can kind of see the look on people's faces when they see the commission. They don't understand we pay taxes. They don't understand how hard we work. Um, I did two sides of a $2 million deal and the commission was a hundred thousand dollars and it comes to me and then my, bro well, my broker and um, the, uh, but I could see the look on the face of the client and I, and I felt like I had to like explain myself. I was like, look, you know, I found this property that took a long time. I connected it with the them with a developer that took a long time to build. I've been watching this property. I've been pricing the property. Then I happened to have a buyer um, who wanted to see the property first in this particular deal. Um, I would have loved to have list this property. It was a, a luxury listing and it was my responsibility to my seller to tell them that I had a buyer who was very interested and they had a meeting of the minds and they went for a price that they both agreed on. I would have loved to have milked as that broker said that listing for new listings and new buyers, but you, you have to do what's right for the client. Um, but, uh, and I've had multiple uh, deals with, you know, high, high commissions and, and I like those, but I, I've also had many deals where, let's see, my lowest listing was 180. I did um, a buy side recently for 350. Uh, here's an interesting story. Before you get into, before you get into that, let me just finish off that that thought there, there was an agent, a big luxury agent in New York, Ryan. And he was talking about this. He said a lot of his clients like scowl at the commission and, and whatever. And sure. he said, he said, well, you know, I, I, I feel free to pay me hourly. I'd be super happy with that. Pay me hourly. And they scuffed at him. I was like, no way. I'd never, I would never do that. I was I'll like, take well, hourly for some clients. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So they scuffed at that. Yeah. 600 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the amount of hours you put in, if you factor in all the relationships and everything, sure. to get to that point, they're going to be paying way more hourly than what the commission is. Oh, yes, absolutely. So what he said essentially was, he was like, you know, pay me hourly. They scuffed at it. Then um, he went back to them. And, and a lot of people, you know, the higher net worth people, they have businesses or the salespeople themselves. He was like, in your business, what percentages and what margins do you take? Right. They're like, you know, some, you know, some businesses are 20, 30, 40, 50% margins. He's like, well, why should I, I'm taking 3%. I'm taking a tiny piece of this list in 3% is my sales margin. Right. Why should it be any different in my business than your business? Right. No, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So anyway, that was just a good story I heard the other day. Um, I think the next thing that I wanted to touch on Unless you, do you have those two stories you want to run into quickly? You, you mentioned that you, you know, the purpose of this is to, um, I guess, educate. And um, so I've had a really, I would study other agents who are very good at what they do. And they always puzzle me. They'll be, they said, Randolph, you'll figure it out. You know, there was never anything to follow. We didn't have, in seven years, there's so much more stuff on the internet now. And there's so many different techniques you can use. I, it, they were there, but I couldn't find them then. And I was, it was like, Ooh, this big mystery. So I'd study the agents who were doing really good business and none of them really wanted to help. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have probably joined a team that had a really good figurehead and learned from there and then gone off on my own. Um, but most of these agents who were doing really well, like Randolph, you'll figure out what works for you. And I, I just feel like, what are you talking about? And, and I did figure out what works for me. And, and I figured out what could work for almost anyone if you actually do the work. Um, so for me, I found out that, um, you know, I go to wherever I'm invited. I'll, if, if I get invited to something, I'm tired, I still go. Um, and part of that is, you know, you, you have to, I, I feel you have to be out there as an agent. Now you have social media and 
and ways of keeping in touch with people. But I'm I'm an introvert and an extrovert. And, you know, people, when they resonate with me, they'll do business with me. And I think that's important. Um, but for my business, and that translates to sphere. So you're going to get a conversion. You're going to get better conversion on people who've done business with you and who know you than on random people. Um, and I was mentioning price points that the highest price point I've done. Well, I, I have two really good listings right now. They're just over 6 million, but the highest price point I've sold at listed and sold uh, is around 4 million. And um, that client came from a $500,000 client who put in offers on a few places and had to pull out of them for one reason or another. And then I got a call, I don't know, a year later saying, hey, I'm looking for this. And we ended up buying a multi-unit. Um, and you just, you just have to keep in touch. You have to you know, provide value, um, whatever that may be to you. Uh, but timing is everything. You know, if, if people don't remember who you are, whether even if you have a dear, dear, I've had close friends forget that I do real estate. They're like, hey, Randolph, I just bought a house. I was like, excuse me? And why don't you go? Now, you don't ever see that. Be like, congratulations. And be like, and, but you could ask them at some point. It's like, how could I have stayed in touch better? Yeah. Is basically why I may, may have not gotten the deal or they didn't want to do business with a friend. Who knows? Um, I think just to wrap that up, I think what you're saying is the worst place for an agent to be is probably in their office. Oh, so you, want be, you want to be out there and TTP, you want to be out there and talking to people. You want to be talking uh, to people, calling it's people. It's never been easier. The, you know, the remind, don't tell. We talk about that a lot. We talk about that a lot. Remind, don't tell people. Tell and selling. Remind, don't tell. But depending on your personal style, yeah. I got a listing one time. I was walking down the street. And there was this guy looking at properties at, that were at a brokerage. And, and I said, are you, are you, is that your property or are you going to buy that place? He's like, no, I'm just interested. I like real estate. And we got to chatting and um, he said he was going to move in the next year. And I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm in real estate. I'd love to, uh, you know, stay in touch with you. I asked him for his number, maybe a little bit weird, but, that's for his number. And, and I stayed in touch with him and I, I ended up listing his property. He was very clear with me. He said, listen, I have someone I work with usually, but I'm happy to take a meeting with you when I end up selling. Nice guy. I'm glad he did that. And I ended up listing his property um, because I stayed in touch with him. The other guy who's actually a pretty big agent in DC had not been staying in touch with him and uh, nothing against him. But I, I think that in that relationship took about a year. So it doesn't happen overnight, and it was a good listing. That one was we um, we sold that one for six fifty. It was also a condo, um, and it was probably I don't know maybe my tenth listing. Um, so that's one little story, but yeah, sometimes you have to be shameless. Um, there's you know the old story of Johnny Appleseed. You know he was walking around just throwing like seeds over his shoulder. Hey, when you first start out you kind of have to be that way. And that may be old school. I would throw seeds over my shoulder now more with like social media um, and phone calls. Phone calls are important. Um, I think those proverbial seeds that you're saying, uh, the reminders of what you're yeah. doing, oh, yeah. people what you're doing, right? So you don't know what's going to sprout. Especially video content right now too. But I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, it's never been easier to stay in front of people remind them what you're doing but if you are getting started even if you're a, a senior agent you should never get away from that initial cold outreach is what you're talking about which is not working your sphere but being a sphere builder yes going out there and yeah you might be asking initially but you're not asking for it you know give me your next list and you're saying hey i'd love to stay in touch with you if you're looking for buildings this is what i do love to get your phone number that's a prospect that's a cold prospect yes now that can filter back into the seeds that you've been throwing and planting like doing interviews like this or posting videos pictures on social media or just going directly to them and texting them catching up with them 
ask them to go for a coffee or whatnot. Yes. Whatever, whatever it is, is just staying in front of them and being omnipresent across all channels. Yes. But that's uh, the seeds. Let's throw these seeds everywhere. But, but also when you are doing these uh, cold emails, cold calls, and I'll call them warm calls if they're people who you kind of know. Yeah. Uh, if there's somebody who, who are, if they're successful in their field or they want to be successful in their field and they're, you know, working their way up, you can ask them out to coffee or lunch. Uh, if you do that and they say, yes, always pay, no matter what, no matter how broke you are, always pay because you've asked that person out and they're giving you their time yeah. and you have to respect it. Um, so, um, and, and during these, these lunches or, or coffees, you'll get a nugget of, of wisdom and they'll probably learn something from you. I, if I kept numbers on it for every lunch or coffee that I've done, I have probably gotten at least one deal within the next 12 months. So if I only did coffees and lunches, I think I would be okay. Dominic, why don't I just quit all this and do that? Yeah. I mean, it would, it would work. It would work. You could literally just go, it's TTP, talking to people, staying in front of people. So if you can get super granular with it and targeted with it, even better. But initially, it could take a lot of outreach and a lot of calls and a lot of asks and a lot of rejection. Yeah. Once you get through a lot of rejection, everyone that's senior in sales or an agent or whatever, it just like rolls off you, you know. Some of it hurts though. Some of it hurts my heart. I'm not gonna lie. When, I don't think it does. I don't think it somebody does. getting something a listing that you know. Maybe well, that's, that's, a, that's a little bit different. Yeah, that's a little bit. Like, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about how did you go from, you know. And you talked about a little bit how you had one $500,000 potential buyer that ended up doing what $3 million buy, something like that. But how did you start that transition from, you know, getting started? I mean, they're still relatively big listings. If you're talking nationwide, it's still, you know, $600,000 listing, you know, it's, it's a high price point still, but how did you transition from that to million dollar? I think you have two, $6 million listings right now of 1.8. And you closed on one point eight. Closing, I've got a five five hundred that's closing Friday. I had another five hundred that closed last Friday. Um, I've got a buyer who keeps going between one four and two million, um, and I'm actually filling my pipeline up right now for the next year. And then I've got a, a a buyer's agent who works in a different jurisdiction, and I'm filling up his pipeline. And then I've got a new buyer's agent who's transitioning from a, a desk job to this. So we give him a buyer every once in a while. How, um, much, how much of that is dependent on the market you're in versus actually going for larger price point properties? Because everywhere relatively has the quote unquote luxury side of things. I mean, we'll move to a market that has high price points. I mean, I've seen I read articles in Realtor Magazine that highly motivate me, but also make me just... Uh, feel lucky. Um, the jurisdiction I'm in again, single family homes through the three states are 600,000. So that's a good start. I've seen, I read these articles about agents 30 under 30, 40 under 40, who do 100 transactions a year, 100 transactions a year, but their price point is like 150 or 200. And I respect that, but I couldn't keep that up at that price point. So in order to get your price point up, you, you have to go back to, and it's not a secret, you go back to what I mentioned in the first part of this video. You have to do good work. You have to uh, deliver great service and always get better. And you have to pay attention to all of your clients. You don't know, here's another example. I have one client who was um, a referral through a friend who had not done business with me. She bought a condo that was just over 600,000. When she got married uh, and pregnant, they needed to buy a house. I bought them a house, sold their condo. But in between that time, she had referred, I want to say four people to me. And that was because of the service I had done in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then the second person reported back that I had done a good job. And the third person reported back. So you have to, it starts with the work. It starts with the quality. Um, 
I, I, and look, I've had a couple dissatisfied buyers and sellers, but it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not the best. I mean, you, you just have to do a really good job and, and put your heart into it. I mean, it can be in the numbers. Commercial folks, it's all numbers. In, in residential, there's, there's a lot more to it. I mean, it, you, you, I think you have to be more human and authentic. And I, I tell my clients this. I said, look, I have no boundaries. You're going to have to create them because I'm going to just, I need to know a lot about you. I need to know, you know, what you want. And the way for me to figure that out is you have to be just completely honest with me. And I always tell them, think of me as a doctor. Think of me as a lawyer. And we have lawyer client privilege, patient privilege. Think of our relationship that way, because then I will better be able to either buy you a place or sell your place. Um, so gathering as much information, listening, but to raise the price point, you just have to do good work. Um, you know, you're not going to go from a $300,000 price point to a $3 million price point overnight. If, if, if you want to raise your price point, I think I, 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 there's no silver bullet to it. Um, but I would, I wouldn't put a cap on yourself that you can't get to a price point. I would focus on the work and I'd focus on transactions. The more transactions you do, your price point will go up. It just happens. Um, and, and in some places there's a cap on the price point. Um, it's, it's success. The one people always tell me success is when luck meets preparation. Now you might have, if your average price point is half a million or 300 or whatever jurisdiction you're in and somebody happens to, you know, pop into town and they want to buy something that's 2 million, of course, you're gonna be like, you just need to be ready to do it. And as the more work you do, the more confidence you'll get, the more knowledge you have, the more knowledge you have, the more confident you'll get. Um, it's, it's, it's like athletics. It's like if you're practicing, if you're practicing medicine or law, if you're, if you're practicing, you know, any sort of, if you're, if you're a plumber or an electrician, like you're not going to be a great plumber, your first job. So you're you're saying, gonna, you're you saying, have to put in time and become a master. If I do bicep curls every day, will my biceps get bigger? Yes. There we go. But yes. I think, I think oh, Rick, one or the other. I'll try. Um, I think what we're saying is number one, is don't be afraid to put yourself out there and just talk to people where that's, you know, if you don't have a sphere, be a sphere builder, go out, go to events, talk to people, post what you're doing. Just tell everybody what you're doing. But I'm talking about remind, remind don't tell. Let me tell. add this. Let me add this. I still get nervous. Yeah. I always get nervous. And, and part of it is, part of it is, you know, you're being vulnerable to, the buying and the selling population. You know, you're going in there and it's like a job interview when you're doing a listing presentation. You know, when, when you're trying to find a dream home for a buyer client, it's a lot of responsibility. And so it, it needs to stay fresh. Um, if you ever feel like you know everything, you really need to question yourself. If you think you know everything and you're the best, you're not. Like there's something wrong. You need, you, you need to yeah. go back to the drawing board. And, and um, let me tell this story. Tiger Woods, top of his game. He took a year, and this was before all this stuff happened. And now he's going to be a comeback guy, I hope. I don't know. Um, he took a year off when he was the best golfer in the world, maybe in history at the time, to retool his swing. I'm not saying take a year off from selling because then you can't pay your bills, but definitely take some time to, and I'm doing it right now, um, to reevaluate and see what's working, see what's not working and keep track of it. And then the stuff that does work, we're, we're, we're our own worst enemies. The stuff that does work, remember what worked. You know, don't look at what's not working. Remember what worked and double down on that. Yeah, if it works, um, is it going to work again? And also there's a reason why Steph Curry still practices Three, oh my God. three throws. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe would be shooting for four or five hours before a game. He'd shoot yeah. after the game. He'd lift weights. Like, 
Ugh. Yeah. So let's go from A to Z. Let's let's do this. Let's throw Randolph back there. He has no network, no sphere. Freshman realtor Randolph. How do you get started? And then how do you get to the point where you are now? Because now you've you keep all your knowledge, you keep all your knowledge and what you know, but you've got no network, no sphere, nothing. This is a good story. Freshman Randolph. I I used to exercise a lot. I would go out and have drinks with folks. I'd go have dinners. I'd do, you know, I'd I'd go to anything I was invited to. Um, my first million dollar client. I met in yoga class. I go back to my brokerage and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, there was a younger agent than me and I'd only been in like six months. He's like, well, what do you do? I was like, well, you know, you can go do yoga. You could go lift weight, go to the gym, go coffee, do anything, but talk to people. Don't be weird. I met my, and, and this agent guy was like, oh, I'm going to do yoga. I got my first million dollar client in yoga class. So let's get granular. in yoga class. Let's get a little bit granular there. Cause if I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of, I know nothing. I'm a fresh Asian. What's that conversation that you have then? What's that conversation you have with that yoga person? Um, well, I, I think we first connect. You, you don't want to jam about real estate. I, I think, and, and also for me, you can't be going after a client all the time. Like, it was, I think our, our conversation started about how we didn't like how a teacher was too loud or something. And, um, you know, at that time I actually was consistent about working out and part of my workout was going to yoga at least two or three times a week. And this uh, eventual client was in, um, I think it like we, we hadn't, we had a class that we were in and so we'd always say hi and stuff. And then it, it eventually came up naturally what I did. And, um, then she confided in me, said, listen, I'm working with this agent. Um, I like them, but they're just not, you know, they're not performing. They're not doing what I need them to do. And I was like, well, if you're working with somebody, I mean, I'd love to help you out so we can talk about it. But if, if you have a sign agreement with somebody, I can't help you out. She ended up, you know, canceling that agreement and working with me. Um, and, and part of that's luck. Uh, but had it not been, I think, I think, I think what the key takeaway is at some point in time, you, you know, obviously there's people that are going to rent for their entire life, but at some point in time, someone that you're with is a buyer or a seller. At sure. some point in time, they're going to buy or they're going to sell. So putting that aside and just focusing on the relationship and essentially making a friend, yes. right? building trust in a relationship, it will naturally come into conversation. It's, it's so, really important to be authentic. Yeah. And patient. Um, you know, I, I do know the flip side of that, Dom, is I know some really successful agents, residential, who grind, and it's all the numbers for them. And there's nothing wrong with it. They will, you know, they'll door knock, they'll send mailers, they'll do social media. And if they know they've touched 100 people, they know they're going to get one client. Um, and, and to that point, you know, they're, they're probably going to be some introverts listening to this. I know some introverts who are the best salespeople you'll ever meet in your life. And you don't know that they're selling to you <laughs> because they listen. They don't want to, they'll force themselves to put themselves in a social situation, but then they'll, you know, they'll really key in on what's going on because they don't want to talk or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's um, almost more of a game mindset gamesmanship sales is gamesmanship to them versus natural it's like i know what i have to do and i'm set up to do this is the target i don't really want to do it but i know what i have to do and it's like execution let me just execute on what i need to execute that's yeah. why i feel like introverts are really good salespeople. yes uh go on sorry i'm a rambler did, did i did i hit the question forgot what it was <laughs> it looks like you have a little glass of scotch down there or something <laughs> This is a little hot cocoa. There we go. No, I think I think that's good. I, I, I think what it comes down to is TTP, putting yourself out there, 
not relying just on your sphere, but building your sphere by going to events and doing that cold outreach. When we're talking cold outreach, yes, you can do the cold calls, you can do the mailers, you can do all that stuff and you can go that approach, but you can also go another cold approach, which is just meeting people, being genuine, authentic self and building a relationship, which will then delayed gratification will then transpire into some sort of business arrangement. It's true. But here's the other thing. Like if, if you don't have a sphere, the best way to create a business sphere is to contact people in your market who are title companies, lenders, um, home inspectors, um, even uh, contractors, property managers, and they may or may not have time for you, but um, a lender is going to want to speak with you because a good lender who does good loans knows that you are the means of his or her production. Right. And if you keep in touch with the lenders, they might have a buyer that comes in one day and they don't have an agent. They're like, I know this great guy named Randolph. You should work with him or Don or whomever. Um, and I've, I've gotten lender referrals. And by the way, the lender referrals I've gotten, I've never asked for a referral. It was just because we had done business together before. Uh, now I'm a little bit more shameful about it. I'm like, listen, uh, if anybody's looking, you know, if I'm on the phone, it's like, listen, had an, I have a baby now, you know, I got to refill the bank accounts um, and, and I'll be a little bit more shameless about it. Uh, but um, yeah, so, and you can grow your sphere that way. And some of these people who you're going to do business with are going to become your best friends. If you're not married, they're going to be at your wedding. Like yeah. what's great about our business is um, there's a lot of bad stuff, but one of the great things is there's so many good people that you'll get to know that you will never, you would never have gotten the chance to get to know them um, if you weren't in this business. So. I anyway. think, I think that's a good send off point there. I think we touched on everything there. Okay. We kind of talked, we kind of talked about getting started starting kind of small, not, yes. worrying about, not worrying about your commission then and not worrying about your commission now, but servicing the client throughout the entire process. I think you touched on how to grow and build your sphere. There's, yes. one, there's one way, which is kind of the more organic way. And then there's the other way, which is more direct, which is the mailers, the cold calling, which can transition and come back around to organic, by the way. Yes. You've got to do the cold outreach, get them into your sphere. When they're in your sphere, in my opinion, and you know, there's varying opinions, is that's the remind, don't tell. So it's the consistent follow-up. That's where video content, social media, building your personal brand is super important. Because yes, you can call everyone, but why not post on social media once a day or once a week, whatever you're doing? And your clients are watching that. Yes. You're constantly reminding them over and over and over again. And that also brings in new clients too. So that that's a that's a key point for anyone right now. You touched on that too, that you've, you've got to be doing that. And then I think just to summarize the whole thing, um, I think one key point you said is if you think you know everything, then you're the, probably the dumbest person in the world. You're room. dead in the water. You're dead in the water. Yeah. The most successful people, the most humble people, like they're fine with sharing what they've done and their accolades and everything, but it's not coming from a place of bragging. It's coming from, I've earned this, I've done this, but I can always learn more. There's something, there's a piece that I can take from him or her or anyone. I think they're the most successful people, hands down. Yes. Um, from your clients even, you know. Yep. Or from your clients, learning from your clients. Oh, I learn from my clients all the time. I mean, <laughs> My clients with kids have been getting lots of phone calls. How do I do this? How do I do that? Um, what, one thing you, you mentioned, what other, what else would you do? Um, here's one, one that's important. It's a little bit old school. Um, again, I did a lot of, re I probably spent too much time researching in the first two years I was doing business to see how, I, instead of just putting my head down, um, but I'm glad that I did. Um, I got chummy with the marketing manager at the first brokerage I worked with. And I, I said, to him, who have been the people who have done the best and what did they do? Mm -hmm. And um, he said, uh, well, there was this one agent did this. And what this agent did, this agent was brand new. And he 
he went and he looked at the numbers of where business comes from. This was before tons of Zillow leads and all that kind of stuff. He started a farm in a neighborhood that had a very high price point. So maybe this will help the price point uh, part of this conversation. Very high price point, over a million. This agent farmed the neighborhood with postcards, um, mainly postcards, for two years. In two years, after that second year, I think he had six or seven listings in that neighborhood. And then, and I've got mentors in DC. I asked, I asked one of my mentors, oh, who does that neighborhood? It's like, oh, it's this agent. And I was like, well, what do you think of them? It was like, oh, well, you know, everybody knows him. Nobody really knew him, but they knew him after he did all of this farming with postcards. And so they still work and they're going to go into the garbage and it's bad for the environment, but he owned that neighborhood after two years. So what do you price point? And this guy hadn't sold a house when he started this farm. He just had looked at the research and he found a neighborhood where nobody had really, you know, become the dominant agent and he did it. He just did it. Um, and that's, that comes down to delayed gratification and persistence. Yes. That's two. That's two years. He's not expecting to get a, a deal probably done in the first six or eight months. He's sending these out constantly, just reminding, throwing like let's go back, throwing those seeds. He's throwing those seeds over and over and over again, and they sprouted. It took two years, that's, but they sprouted, and now he owns that neighborhood. Yes, and, and um, so I've got a, a, a young buyer's agent I'm working with now, and basically, I'm teaching him everything that I didn't do that I should have done. And, um, and he's doing it and he's, you know, he's done over, he just started and he's done over 1.2 million so far, which is great for somebody who is at zero. Um, and you know, our goal for him is for him to, you know, have his first six figure year. Um, and I'm going to be super excited when he hits that, hits that point. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we spoke to that one guy, I think it was you, I didn't speak with him, but he's doing billions in transaction a year. And the thing that he was most proud about wasn't any of his own accolades or what he'd done or his money, he'd been there, done that. I think his main thing was I'd minted 1,000 millionaires. Oh. That was his key thing was I have minted 1,000 millionaires. And that's what he was so proud about. That was, that was like, give me goosebumps. Yeah. What was his name? I remember what it is. Um, it's he, been, we won't say it here, but I know. And, 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 um, and I keep in touch with him too. Um, because, you know, I, I, I want him to make more millionaires. Um, but I don't know, I, I really love this business and, you know, it's, it's difficult, it's lonely, but it's also rewarding. Um, and I'm learning new things. I mean, look, I'm on a, a podcast with Dom Marshall and I mean, we should do a whole podcast on how we met. So why don't we leave that as the teaser? And, um, and now, now we're business partners. You know what the problem with real estate is? There's so many different ways you can go. That's true. Money in real estate that you can get so frazzled yes. like, with paralysis and not know where to go. Yes. So if you're an agent, if you're a new agent, or if you're already a successful agent and it's kind of gone stagnant, it's probably time to start thinking like a new agent again and start yeah. just doing all these things over again. Because it comes down to, you can talk about it as much as you want, but if you're not doing the action, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Right. But, but we, yeah. we could talk about, I mean, going forever. we should get into, <laughs> we, should, we should get into, you know, because we're telling people how to build a sphere, how to market. We could get more granular in marketing channels and, you know, how to do that outreach and different systems and processes. We can get into that. But I also want to stay big picture and talk about, okay, you're making some income. What what, what are you going to do with that income? Right. How can we invest that? Because too many agents, wholesalers, flippers, are too caught up in the transaction on the, in the hamster wheel. But they're not actually investing and making their money have little babies. Because that's super, that is super delayed gratification when you start investing. If you're a real estate agent and you have a decent career, you need to be buying real estate for yourself or else you're going to get a massive tax bill and you're not going to have any write-offs. So you'll have some write-offs, but 
you need to own real estate because if you're going to be a successful agent, um, you can't write off everything that's marketing. You can't, you, you need to be able to write off investment properties um, because, you know, I'm getting to the point now where you get tired and uh, in 10 years, I don't want to be, you know, working so hard. So it's, it's very important to buy real estate. Right. Just one. You have okay. to start with one. It's, whether it's, it's a nice. condo, whether it's a parking space, whether it's a big house, whether it's your primary, whether it's, you, you need to start with one and then also make sure that you get another one and then keep that first one. You have to keep at least one and you will have a pension um, when you're done working. So I want to touch one, I'm going to touch one thing on that and then I'm going to ask you to uh, tell everyone how, the, how they can get in touch with you. But there's one thing coming from England and looking at different finance and even in different countries versus America. The 30-year fixed loan is the most powerful asset there is. If you can cash flow a property on a 30-year fixed loan, like really, really think about this and look into this and we'll get into investing more. But if you have a million dollars worth of property, let's say that you have five $200,000 properties, you have a million dollars in assets, let's say $800,000 loan at, you know, we're talking single digit interest rates. Right now, I think the past five weeks, we've been declining mortgage rates, by the way. So what's that showing? What's going to happen in the market? Or every recession, rates have gone down. Um, and it's, it's already happening, mortgage rates. But if you've got a 5% fixed rate loan, $800,000, million worth of assets, I am 29. In 30 years, that loan's paid off. If I, keep, if I just hold on to the property, the loan's at zero. When I bought it, it was worth a million. What's that going to be worth in 30 years? Well, so no crystal ball, but I, I think you have to be conservative about it. I think that the, the property if, will appreciate by a minimum of 2.5% a year. Um, it'll probably go a little bit higher than that, but to be safe, I like to you know, put estimates on the downside. But if you're at 25 a year at 30 years, um, you're going to be doing pretty well and you have, will have bought that pro the property with renter's money and you will actually own the asset. And it's not factoring in. This, this is the thing. This is why it only takes a handful of properties. We need a whole different podcast. This, this is why it only takes oh, a handful. You got to stay focused. I get, this is what I get excited about. Is the <laughs> this is, yeah. But that's not factoring in that you're aside from taxes and insurance, which will go up over time, but your rent, you can increase your rent over there. But that payment being fixed versus where rents are increasing that arbitrage is only going to, unless you get a mayor that comes in and puts, you know, 10 mils on your tax rate and you get totally screwed. So be, be very careful of that where you're buying with the tax rates and things, but that rent arbitrage between your fixed payment is only going to grow over time as well. So in 30 years, it's paid off. That $1 million asset might be 3 million plus every 10 years as a quick rule of thumb, every 10 years, apparently real estate doubles, obviously very market dependent. Some markets are going to skyrocket. Some are going to stay stagnant. But let's say three million dollars. Your rent there was, you know, thousand dollars. Your payment six hundred. Is that rent going to be two, three, four thousand dollars in thirty years? But your payment's still the same. The rents will go up. So that for me, that's your, that's your retirement account. I would say screw four hundred one k, screw IRAs. I'm going to get controversial here. <laughs> for me, they're a dump. They're a waste. And uh, the 401k was not meant, was not created for what it's used for right now. It wasn't. Look it up. Look it up. Look up the founder of the 401k and he will also say. Also own property within your IRA. You can do uh, And that's, that's a really good way to, to grow it as well because the property will appreciate in value and, um, and you could flip properties within an IRA. I mean, we're getting really off here, but there, there are so many different ways that if you focus on one that you can, you know, make money consistently in real estate over time, even if you're not an agent. Um, but if you are an agent, you need to own property. You just do. I mean, you have to. So how does everyone 
get in touch with you, Randolph. What if I know you're growing your team right now, so you're looking at that. Or if they just yeah. want some advice from you or just to talk with you, how, how do they reach you? Well, so Dominic will put my contact information in, uh, I guess, the link here. And um, and you can you can email me, you can call me, um, and, you know, just connect with me that way. All right. Thanks, Randolph. Thank you, Dominic. All right. Peace. All right.